Turn once again to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Last week we got through three verses, so I hope to do a little better than that tonight. Uh, All the way to verse 10. Uh, That would give us double what we covered last week. But uh, this is a a passage, a a very... um, Really, one of the pivotal chapters of the New Testament, a, a misunderstanding of Ephesians chapter 4 will affect you in so many, many negative ways. And so let's just start here in verse 1 of chapter 4, and we'll read right down through 10. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, And through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, was it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And we're going to stop right there. And as verse 11 starts uh, another uh, uh, part of this, but uh, as Paul is begging the Ephesians to walk worthy of that calling, to walk worthy of the vocation, the job, the duty, the life that God has called us uh, to do, he, he makes a series of statements. He says, there is one body now, uh, and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He is going through a whole list of here, and he's talking about only one. And what we are, what Paul is trying to help the Ephesians to understand here, is that there are not many different types of churches. There's one. There's not many different kinds of salvation. There is only one salvation. Uh, we could just chase this through our, uh, our, our New Testament. Uh, like Peter said, like precious faith. Uh, if you really want to upset your Catholic family and friends, say, I have the same salvation the Apostle Peter has. I have a like precious faith. The Bible says so. Right here. And, and that doesn't mean that uh, Peter was, in fact, it preaches against the exclusivity of Peter. Peter was not the Pope. Peter was not saved differently than anybody else. And we can share that. And, and as we look here, 
uh, often people say, well, we all serve the same God. And the first thing you say, have to say is, that's not true. We don't. Because there are differences. We use the same name, but obviously we must be talking about different people because of all the differences uh, that manifest themselves. There's only one Holy Spirit of God, and we are called with one hope. That hope is to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the major problems of the Jehovah's Witness uh, system of faith, as we'll be talking a little bit about this tonight, is uh, they believe that uh, we're going to be here on earth. We're not going to be in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Last time I checked, uh, I haven't seen Jesus taking out any building permits in New York City uh, or other places, any place on the face of this earth. Uh, And so, therefore, the place that he is building is not of this earth. Amen? And our hope is that we will be with him. And it tells us we have one Lord. When a person gets saved, if you get saved the Bible way, you make a confession. The Lord Jesus, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. The is a very important word there. It's a definite article. It's talking about one. It's not talking about one of an assortment or one of many uh, that is in a group. It is talking about one, one alone. We would say this is this is the Bible I'm holding in my hand. There's no other way to say. We could say this is a Bible, yes, because there are many copies of the Bible uh, in the pews here, but this is the copy I am holding in my hand because I'm only holding one, and it's the Lord. You see, this is such an important point is because where do we look for our authority? little tongue-in-cheek, uh, at times I've had people, I remember one gentleman was really upset with me about something, not quite sure what it was. He said, I want to talk to your boss. And uh, I said, well, you have to get on your knees. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about who is your superior? Where is your headquarters at? I said, the only superior I have is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Now, not everybody that claims that authority has that authority. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, there's going to be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. Jesus tells the church at Philadelphia that he's going to take those uh, fake Jews that say that they are believers in the truth and are not. And he's going to make them bow before the feet uh, of those that have served the Lord Jesus in honesty and truth. So, uh, just because you use the name doesn't get you the title, but our authority goes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. People often ask questions, you know, well, the Baptists started in England in the late 1500s, early 1600s. No, they didn't. That was the English Baptists came into being. But there were... 
Baptistic people, we would call them Anabaptist people in England, uh, they go way back to the most ancient days of history. In fact, the Welsh Baptist Church claims that they were started by the Apostle Paul after he visited Spain. And uh, there are churches there today that claim that they are descendants from those very churches the Apostle Paul started. There's only one problem. Uh, they've changed their doctrine some. And we'll get to that in a minute. It says, one Lord, we only have one authority. That's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living word. That is his name. When he returns with the armies of heaven, he destroys the armies of men with the sword that goes out of his mouth. It says, and his name is the word of God. This is the written word. You cannot separate them. You cannot um, uh, uh, change them. And see, the next statement right here is one Lord and one faith. Now, of course, in this world today, there are many faiths. And we define those faiths or those denominations, people have used that term, different religions, uh, we define them by what they believe. There is a, um, uh, a certain characteristic, certain beliefs that make up. Uh, you name uh, the religion, the Methodist. We're called Methodist because John and Charles Wesley as they brought a faith that they received from the Moravians, which was an Anabaptist group in Boravia, uh, Austria, Czechoslovakia, that area over there, they heard the message of salvation from the Bible and they got saved. And they said, wow, the church of Jesus here in England doesn't have this message. How many of you already see the problem with that? How could the church of Jesus Christ not have the message of salvation? How could that be? And yet, they did not give up on their faith in the fact that their church was the true church. They just needed to be saved. Uh, uh, an honest investigation would tell us that no church could possibly be under the authority of Jesus Christ and not possess salvation individually as the members of that church. Are, are we together on that? And so, we, we have one faith. Now, we live in a day where people want to go through. Uh, if you've ever heard of a guy named Stephen Anderson... Uh, he is a classic example of cafeteria uh, theology or Burger King theology. Have it your way. Uh, if you remember that set of ads from Burger King or uh, the, the technical term would be eclectic theology. Uh, eclectic means you just get to pick what you want. And, and uh, I, want to, I want you to understand that up until the last 25 or 30 years, that kind of theology only existed 
in the minds of a very few, very doctrinally perverse group of people. Uh, it wasn't until this new thought has been established from the uh, uh, in, in the education system that you can have your truth. Uh, if you want to know why the uh, comic book movies are always talking about alternative universes or alternative realities, uh, it's because of this method of thinking that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and they can be perfectly in disagreement with each other but coexist at the same time with no problems. Well, we call that fantasy land because that's what it is. It cannot happen. And when the Bible says one faith, it's going back to the Lordship of Christ, the authority of Christ. Christ said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, if we were supposed to teach all nations something, then the disciples must have already had those things that they were to teach. That was the method of salvation, amen, the message of salvation. And then they were to baptize them. And the third thing on the list here that we're looking at tonight, not actually not third thing, but the, uh, in this verse, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of Holy, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee, and though I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. Do you get the idea here? What Paul is trying to help the Ephesian church understand is that this thing we call church is 100% of God. It was started by Jesus Christ. It is built by Jesus Christ. It is maintained by Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of it. But there is only one faith the Bible talks about. Uh, This is what I preached about in the the, uh, chapel service at Heartland because we have some students as, as they come up through the ranks, they... They start searching and they start searching in places for truth that they honestly ought not be searching. They they start believing this foolishness that is in the world that just because you come up with the same conclusion that the Apostle Paul did, that you have to be a mind-numb robot. Or that Brother Sam Davison came up with, or Larry Clayton, or Roy Thompson... We can pick these individuals out of history and say, listen, just because I agree with them doesn't mean that I am uh, just following what they said because they said so. There, There is this strange little possibility in there that they could have studied the same Word of God and have the same faith because the Bible only propagates one faith. You cannot read this book and not understand that God's words are authoritative, they are preserved, and they are meant to be obeyed. 
This book is not open for interpretation or innovation. This book is meant to be obeyed. The authority of scriptures. By the way, that is a Baptist distinctive. Uh, I was talking with someone. They said, yeah, that's what uh, Luther said. Solo scriptura. Uh, that was his, that means Latin for only the Bible. Only the scriptures. And, uh, but there's, see, if you got around Luther very long... You had to understand it was only the Scriptures as I, Martin Luther, understand them. Because if you disagreed with Martin Luther, you got in big trouble. Uh, he didn't necessarily kill any of the believers, but he made sure that they got pushed into areas and exiled into areas where the Catholics, uh, the hounds of the Inquisition, we might say, would be able to hunt them down and capture them. Uh, not a very nice guy. Martin Luther is not one of my heroes. Uh, I, I get really tired of this thing. Uh, oh, you've got to, uh, you've got to admire Martin Luther. No, I don't. Because Martin Luther died baptized a Catholic. I, I admire Balthasar Hubemeyer. And probably the only ones, that, if you, the only place you've ever heard that name is when I've said it. Uh, from the pulpit here, but Balthasar Hubemeyer was a priest in the Catholic Church in Switzerland. He read his Bible and he got saved. And he went and found an Anabaptist church already in existence and was baptized and later ordained a Baptist preacher. And because he refused the protection of the state, he refused submission to Zwingli, who was Luther's uh, compatriot down there in, uh, in the area that uh, uh, Hubemeyer lived, he was hunted down and killed because he refused to adopt a faith that was foreign to the Word of God. Now, that's the man I respect. And that's what the Bible's talking about. You see... If Jesus is the only Lord, if there is only one salvation in the Bible, and there is, if Jesus only started one kind of church, we ought to be able to recognize that. There ought to be some things that we can look at. I know I'm preaching to the choir, as they say tonight, but this is what this passage is saying. There's one body, one church, and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, our calling is to serve Christ in His church. Every believer has the same calling. As we're going to find out in a few minutes, we have different jobs. I, I am really glad that we, we don't have this false idea. That they, they call it the plurality of elders, where everybody who thinks they're a preacher sits around and talks, and, and, and then uh, somebody gets up and prays, and it's, and it's done. Uh, that, that's not found in the Bible. Preaching of the Word of God is found in the Bible. And what we try to do here in the church is be that exact thing that the Bible says. One baptism. 
Now, I've had people argue and say, is it water or is it spirit? And uh, because there are some people out there that try to make that the Holy Spirit baptism and, and that uh, we have a universal invisible church and all of these things. There's only one baptism. As you and I are believers, can we baptize somebody with the Holy Spirit? I remember years ago, a lady who was actually a member of our church, she said, Pastor, my, my son's been talking about salvation. I want you to save him. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Let's, let's just fix those words. I know what you mean, but you didn't say it the way you ought to say it. Because only Jesus does the saving. Amen? See, it's one faith. It's one Baptism, the only baptism you and I can be concerned about is what goes on in this tank right here. Uh, By the way, Brother Franz called and he said he got a guy that just got saved and he wants to be baptized in the Christmas Eve service. Uh, Everybody for that. And if you're not, see me afterwards and we'll take away your... No. uh, uh, We... uh, I, I... I knew we'd be for someone getting baptized on Christmas Eve. That's a great way to do things. Amen? And and so, uh, um, where's Hannah at? Oh, she's, oh, there. Remind me to text Brother Franz after the service so I don't forget. Uh, But we'll we'll put those things in. He texted me while I was getting off the plane this morning, this afternoon. Anyway, uh, so... We have one baptism, that baptism that the Bible's talking about here, the baptism that we can be involved in is the baptism of water. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. That's the work of God. We go back to one faith, one hope of your calling, which is salvation. The work of the Holy Spirit puts us into Jesus Christ. And one day we will all be assembled in one body. But we're not there yet. And so we assemble in individual bodies uh, called local churches. One God and Father of all. Now, the God of the Bible has revealed himself to us in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? We, we don't argue that. We can't explain it. Uh, God is not three parts. You can't have part of God. It's either all or none. God does the work. And everything that God does in the Bible, we see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son moving. In creation, God the Father spoke. John chapter 1, Jesus the Son did. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. In salvation, Jesus offered himself through the eternal Spirit unto the Father to pay the price for our sins. Everything God does, he does in the Trinity. As a Trinity, because he is God. And yet he wants us to be able to see the, the depth and the fullness that our salvation isn't just praying a prayer. Our salvation isn't just uh, uh, any one thing. It is the work of the triune God. And we need to understand our church is the same way. 
that's why we need to be very particular about things and careful. So we start here in, in verse 4, and it says, There's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all. He has no equals. There is none above him. Then it says, and through all, there is none beside him. And in you all. That's how we get saved. We go the whole way back to the book of Genesis. God restores us temporarily to the image in which we were created by a loan or a sealing of the Holy Spirit until the day that we die and go to heaven and receive that glorified body. And then we will be transformed completely into the image of original creation with one exception. We've already made our choice. And that choice is sealed forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we have a God that is above all. There is none beside Him, none uh, uh, above Him, and He is the one that saves us. Now we change directions. But, verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then... The Apostle Paul here is going to go through several verses, and I will tell you, I scoured, uh, uh, no, I didn't scour, but I I looked through several different commentaries, and I I will tell you that um, there is a very, very little understanding of these next few verses, and we're just going to try to make it as simple and as Bible as we can as we Always do. Here is the context. Paul is telling the Ephesians to walk worthy of the vocation. He has just described that vocation. One body, one spirit, one salvation, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Uh, we, we need to understand that we are not dealing with something that we can change that we can move or mold, uh, that we can innovate with. Uh, we are dealing with something that God has set up. The Word is His providence. We do not have any part in the decision-making process. We did not have any part in the forming process of the church. But each of us have a measure of grace that's given to us. Each one of us has been given grace by God. We got grace. That's how you're saved, isn't it? You're saved by grace through faith. Okay. To the, according to the measure of the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, this is a quotation uh, uh, from uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 68 and verse 18. And so let's just turn there.
And let's read Psalm 68, verse 18. Thou hast descended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now, there's a lot of controversy here because it says that he received gifts for men. And in Ephesians, when Paul quotes that, it says that he gave gifts unto men. Now, let me just ask a question here. I want to make sure that we're on uh, all together on this. If I receive gifts for someone else, or I give gifts to someone else. Can anyone here tell me what the difference between that is? I mean, on many occasions I've been uh, uh, had the privilege of, of representing the Union Baptist Church, and you know what? We received gifts. In fact, we still receive gifts on a fairly regular basis for the Union Baptist Church. And we take those gifts and we put them into an account and we give them to the Union Baptist Church. And we tell them which church gave this. And we've also given of our own. But I, I want to challenge you, there's no difference here. Even though he ascended on high and he received gifts for men... The gifts come from Jesus. And he did give those gifts to men. In fact, one of them is talked about in the preceding verse. It says the measure of the gift of Christ. Do you know that grace is a gift of God? Amen? God has given us His grace. And this whole idea of leading captivity captive is simply this. How many of you remember the story of the rich man Lazarus? We have the uh, Lazarus, the beggar dying, and he goes and it says that the rich man, as he lifted up his eyes in hell, he saw Lazarus lying in or sitting in, leaning on Abraham's bosom. And so, uh, sometime, many, many years ago, uh, somebody uh, dedicated this place and called it Abraham's bosom uh, because that's what it describes Lazarus as there. And Abraham is the father of faith, the Bible tells us. And this is where the saved souls went before the resurrection because God had not fulfilled the payment yet. When that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven, he led captivity captive. Jesus went down and he gathered up all of those souls and he took them to heaven to be with him. Now when a person dies, they go straight to heaven because it's all taken care of. They were held captive by death. Now they're held captive by the Lord. That's simply all this passage is talking about. And he gave gifts. I want you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 16, if you would. 
John chapter 16. And for the life of me, I could not find one commentary that made one mention of these verses as it was talking about our verses in Ephesians. And I just have no understanding as to why that case is. But in John chapter 16, let's start in verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You see, when Jesus was talking about giving gifts unto men, we just had the gift of grace. We're talking about the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, if I don't go into heaven, the Holy Spirit is not coming. I'm going into heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, we're going to spend, uh, when we pick up in, in uh, verse 11, we're going to be talking about the gifts that God gives to His church, which are individuals specially empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to fill positions in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12, Paul, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And a lot of people make a big deal about that and, and, and confuse talent and natural ability. But I want you to understand the gift of the Spirit is, number one, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You see, even though Saul kept his salvation... He didn't keep the Holy Spirit. And because he didn't, he had a lot of influence from evil spirits in his life and did a lot of things that were just absolutely unbelievable. And so, as let's get back here to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's try to keep this right in the context. It says, but unto every one of us. Now, see, we're supposed to be walking worthy according to the vocation, uh, worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And for us to be able to do that, we are given a measure of the gift of God. And how that happened was the fact that Jesus ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. He broke and defeated the power of sin and of death. The gifts that He gave us is His grace, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. How many times has the Holy Spirit intervened on our behalf? Read Romans chapter 8. He prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays directly to God. He bypasses our prayers often because we don't know how to pray as we know. Isn't that not a gift? Uh, I I want to challenge you that it is. And then we start in verse 9, and this is where the commentators just lose it completely. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, skip back chapter 1. Start reading with me in verse 21. 20, actually. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. By the way, that's ascending 
being set at the right hand of God. Jesus arose from the dead here on earth. He set at the right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So Paul is just going back in his book to what he has already stated. You see, Jesus ascended into heaven. But he descended. Why did he descend? He was in the tomb for three days. He gathered up all the souls that were in Abraham's bosom. And he took those souls that were waiting for the finished work of Christ, God's prophetic time clock. Some of them, like Enoch, had been there a very long time. Adam had been there even longer. And he gathered those souls from the Old Testament up to that point, and he took them to heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit of God. The fact that he ascended also means that he first descended and that he sits on the right hand that Jesus Christ is the victor. He is the starter. He is the founder. He is the builder of his church. Jesus is interested in his church. It is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And he gives you and I a vocation He has called us to serve Him in that church. But that church is the exact same church. It has only one faith, only one message of salvation. We can look in the pages of history and we can find men who preached salvation, the Bible way, preached baptism, the Bible way. They were called by many different names Sometimes we cannot find the physical link between one group and another. But I want to challenge you what the physical link is. It's this book right here. Jesus' church has existed. And you and I have the privilege of serving together. If we could just, if we could just get a hold of that. It would solve a lot of problems. Our understanding of the church is tainted so much by the fact that we drive down this road or go down the street and we see 50 different church buildings. You walk through Manhattan and the biggest and the best and the most beautiful buildings, they don't belong to the Baptists now, do they? They belong to everybody else. But the faith that we as Baptists hold is a Bible faith. It's the same faith that Peter taught, that Paul taught, that Jesus himself taught. There's only one authority. We practice baptism only one way. That's by immersion for believers only 
identifying with a church of like faith and practice. It's not that we rebaptize anybody. We do not. But if someone baptizes you even doing everything right, but they don't have the authority. And how many different examples? You can go down to the uh, Army Surplus store and you can buy yourself a military uniform. In fact, if you shop around a little bit, you can get all the right patches from all the right errors and you can, you can build that uniform to, to tell a whole history and you can write up a story. And there are people who do that all the time. We call them fake vets. And I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, when we were down at the Veteran Day Parade, somebody came up and uh, stuck a microphone in my face and said, uh, what, do you, what do you think about the president coming down here on Veterans Day? I said, I think it's a great thing. And, and uh, he said, but you know, uh, he actually brought up John McCain. And I said, you know something? I said, I, I, I'm glad John McCain served, but I want you to know something. The military uniform is not something you hide behind to curse the President of the United States because you disagree with him. That interview ended real quick. Uh, you see, we, we have a lot of people out there calling themselves churches, pretending to be what's real. Hoping in their own mind that they are real. But it is so simple to be real. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. One body. One salvation. But each of us as individuals must go directly to Christ to get that measure of grace which saves us which then will transform us and make us. Because Jesus is the only one. John chapter 3, He descended from heaven to be here on earth. He went into the depths of, uh, of human existence. He suffered the degradation and all of the uh, uh, shame of the cross. It says He endured the cross despising the shame. And now he sits on the right hand. He has made a victory over principalities, over powers, over spiritual darkness. When we get to Ephesians chapter 6 here, he's going to be talking about the armor of God and the fact that we're not fighting things that we can see. We're not fighting people with real weapons. We are fighting a spiritual warfare. Don't go swinging your sword at the invisible man. You might hurt yourself or some other believer. Amen? Jesus is the one who fights the battle. But He expects us to know what to do with that sword. We, we carry it. Amen? I'll I tell you this. Most soldiers spend a great deal more time parading their rifles than they do using them to shoot people. And that's a good thing. Amen? In fact, our uh, anti-terrorism force, NYPD, 
how many of you have seen those guys around? How many of the first time you saw one of those guys, it was like, oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you, it was for me. I mean, all of that. I mean, it's, it's not just uh, a military-style assault rifle. It's all the, the body armor and the two or three different weapons here and there and there and ammo belts and tasers and, I mean, these guys, uh, uh, I mean, they're just walking uh, hardware stores uh, for police department. And you know what? That's a good thing. Do you realize that just the presence of those people have thwarted more possible terrorist attacks than any person could ever understand or keep record of. And we as Christians are ashamed to display our weaponry. Do you get my illustration? Go like this or like this? We'll start over again. We've got time. You see, God gives us His grace, and that grace is to serve in His church. We're going to, as we keep moving, we're going to find out how to do this. But if we could just understand the privilege that it is to be in Jesus' church. We get comfortable with that sometimes. We get What is it? Familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes we just look down on it. That's what the book of Malachi was. The Jewish people had gotten so used to being God's people that they didn't serve God anymore. The church at Ephesus lost its first love. Same thing. And so as we're going through the book of Ephesians, we we started in chapter 1. And God gave us all these things. Just Paul listed these things that God had to do to us. These incredible, great, precious promises. Chapter 2 was talking about the great salvation that God gives us. Chapter 3 is the mystery how that God would take Gentiles who have no connection to God whatsoever and allow us to be in that church as one body. Now we get to chapter 4. We're going to find out how that body works. But the challenge is to walk worthy of that vocation. And to understand that even though there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one body, there is a measure of grace for each individual. Because Jesus has descended, he has ascended, He has given us the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of these things so that we can serve Him in His church. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. Oftentimes at a preacher's meeting, they say, Well, all the full-time Christian workers, please rise. And uh, we're we're all supposed to be full-time Christians. Amen? And as we serve the Lord at the direction of the Holy Spirit, we get to fulfill the greatest privilege and the highest calling a human being can do.
to be part of his body, the church of Jesus Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before